I have, I have nothing to say there. <laughs> That's fine. I just want to get out of this. <laughs> this hellscape we've we've crafted just, for ourselves. I just don't want to ever think about this movie again. Can we go now, please? <laughs> we can, yeah. Your story Welcome to the Memory Distillery, everyone. I'm Anthony Ranieri. And I'm John Deck. And each week we will malt, mash, ferment, and distill our way through the spirits of our past in the form of long-loved movies. And this week, Wolverines! That's right, we're watching Red Dawn from 1984, directed by John Milius. Man, it's been a while since I've watched this one. Um, and... What's funny is that I have it on DVD and I just haven't like I haven't broken it out at least since since we moved into this house so that's been <laughs> at least 5 years probably longer than that. So is that an addiction uh, against the quality of the movie are you preemptively stating it's just not worth watching? Well, no, not necessarily. I mean, I don't remember this being particularly well acted, but I remember enjoying it. I remember enjoying the story and and sort of the themes uh that that it presents uh i i don't remember it being you know amazing it's not like it's in my top 25 or anything like that but it's it's good i think the reason i brought it up i mean to be fair it was already on your mind so it's kind of a mutual bring up but like i almost feel like this movie could generate more interesting discussion than actually be good um, yeah so, like, that's true my i have this recollection of watching it as a, a younger lad uh and kind of thinking it was kind of interesting or cool like oh what would i do if my small town in illinois were you know overtaken by you know commies the reds or, <laughs> yeah and so it's just uh like i i didn't have that like protect my town and form a militia response but like i'm i'm always fascinated by whether it's you know uh, survival tv shows where you know you're out in the wilderness and you gotta you know live or doomsday preppers or you know things where people are just trying to anticipate bad situations but this idea of being having it thrust upon you and how do you react it's like oh it's interesting i have no clue whatsoever if the movie itself will even be decent um i'm imagining it'll either be really horrible or kind of fun like in a am laughing at it sort of way uh but yeah i'm looking forward to talking about this concept this idea like how ridiculous is the the overall conceit that it puts forth like all that kind of stuff is what i you know i'm looking forward to yeah and i think that that's probably what we're gonna draw more from uh, during this episode, because I don't know that there's a ton of meat on the bones of this movie in terms of like how uh, how high quality it is. Like, I mean, I'm looking at IMDb right now. It's got a six point four there. Oh, you know, it's it isn't bad, but you know, it, it's a forty six percent on Rotten Tomatoes. It's fifty five percent on Metacritic. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes. The audience score isn't a whole lot better. It's only sixty five percent. So like. 
it's it's not regarded highly at least in terms of overall quality but i think that you're right i think that there's going to be a lot for us to talk about especially in the thematic elements of it and and sort of what we can deduce from i guess what they're trying to get across in the story and how maybe it has kind of injected itself into the cultural zeitgeist of the of even today like i mean people if you talk about red dawn today people know what you're talking about they've well, either seen they the just movie made it a couple years ago well no not just that I, no, nobody watched that you and i watched that movie and that was it um i think bill randall probably also okay watched bill it. randall probably did but he doesn't listen to this show so he doesn't really count that's true if you don't that's listen true. to the show you don't count you don't exist it's sort of like object permanence for a baby but like almost nobody watched that movie. So when you talk about Red Dawn, the Patrick Swayze, Charlie Sheen, uh, Leah Thompson, Red Dawn is what we're talking about. And I didn't even remember Charlie Sheen was in it. <laughs> <laughs> I just I remember Patrick Swayze, and that's it. <laughs> um, actually, there's there's not a bad cast of this movie. You've got you know the, the three I mentioned. You've got Jennifer Grey. You've got C. Thomas Howell. So like, it's it's oh, is this a prequel to Dirty Dancing? Exactly. It's Dirty nice. Dancing. In an alternate universe where the commies showed up. Nobody put Soviet in a corner. <laughs> it's Soviet Russia corner in you. Wait, that doesn't well, work. What? That doesn't work on eight levels. No, it sure doesn't. <laughs> uh, well, I think there's nothing left to do at this point but to go and watch Red Dawn. So John and I are going to go do that. You guys feel free to pause and watch along with us. It's on Netflix right now, or you can watch it from your personal library. Uh, and when we come back, we are talking Red Dawn. John, are you ready? Insert other memorable quote here. I'm ready. Let's go. Welcome back, everyone. We just got done watching Red Dawn. Uh, John, you have some things to say right out of the gate, don't you? Of course I do. You you, you could barely wait to record. You were... I'm so... Yeah, I was so excited. um, Because this movie is something we're not going to talk about for a second. Uh, Great. (laughs) No one's going to miss anything. I mean... We could kind of just leave the movie at the door and, and just forget we even watched it. But I'm sure we'll talk about it for a minute or two. What I wanted to start off talking about um, is, well, first of all, have you are you a fan or have you ever played uh, games like Risk or Access and Allies? I have. Both? Uh, Risk, yes. Access and Allies, no. Okay. Um, the, the general concept is similar to both. Access and Allies is just way more intricate, but it's just, you know, game of world domination uh and risk it's kind of a free-for-all and existentialize you're kind of reenacting um the the setup of world war ii around the time that pearl harbor happens and and you kind of play it out but you can have as the name denotes you know access powers ally powers and everybody kind of you can do one versus one or just get a bunch of people playing and everyone takes you know control of a certain oh i'll be the u.s i'll be britain i'll be russia you know all that kind of stuff and uh, sure Anyway, the reason I bring this up is I couldn't help but th- think about what happens in this movie, the the invasion, the the underlying ideas that are going on here that we don't really 
get fully explained until what's his face the uh air force pilot uh gets becomes a part of the group tanner something like that yeah yeah yeah. um so so we have this entire you know everything's kind of laid out and it made me think you know i've I've played these simulations in these games. I, I've thought about this the scenario, and and to be honest, I never imagined uh, the idea of like a pincher movement where you have an army coming up through Mexico simultaneously with Russia coming down through Canada, with the goal of dividing the country and then spreading out to the coast, and. Like, we're not talking about the movie and how it was executed. We're talking about this high-level concept in terms of taking over the land of the United States. And I I wanted to get your opinion on just the theory, the idea of this, instead of landing and, you know, hitting Washington, D.C. and spreading across the country. Like, this this idea of splitting down the middle and then going out towards the coast. What do you, what do you think about that? Well, so I, I was actually thinking about that while I was watching this is like you as the invading force you kind of put yourself at a disadvantage right because you have the the forces that you brought with you in the middle and it's i think it's pretty clearly stated in the movie that they've got sort of the the everything from the sort of rockies to the mississippi and so you have the coasts uh that, that are still sort of free america now you're you're fighting a war on two fronts against the population centers of this country because if you if if you took sort of a heat map of where everyone is in the United States and and you could say this for probably any country the majority of people live near the coast so that's where all of our people are. They're in Florida. They're all the way up to Maine and then from California up to Washington. So what you're looking at now is a, a battle against the bulk of the United States and probably the bulk of the United States military it, it, sort of on that scale on two fronts. So it's, it's it, in my opinion, that would be a very stupid move. Like You would want to start from one coast and work your way over. You know, I had a very similar thought <laughs> because <laughs> as much as I, I really wanted to give this concept the benefit of the doubt and and granted, you do have a little bit of the idea in general that perhaps the, the Russian forces have some sort of a supply line from the Bering Strait down through Alaska to Canada to the U.S. That's a really long distance without an established infrastructure for such things. There's probably... There might be some railways. I'm not that familiar with the Canadian railways as I am with the continental U.S. But, I mean, even if it was, there would only be, like, one railway. And you, if you take that out, you, you're you're done. You know, the, the railway no longer is a supply line. So so that idea is you, you have to overwhelm with force and, and be so just explosive that you wipe out, you know, resistance and you're able to just you know, shocking on, take over. And, and they even did that decapitation nuclear strike with those small little concentrated strikes in like DC and Omaha and Kansas City to take out American missile silos. I'm not going to get into the logistics of whether that was smart or even would work. But this this pincher movement of the, the Russians coming down through Canada and the, the Cubans and Nicaraguans and, and whatever coming up through Mexico, like for, for all the reasons you said, it just seems 
like many other things in this movie, ridiculous and almost totally 100% pointless. Like, someone wrote the script. Someone came up with all these different points. And there are many different steps along the way where someone might have said, Hey, I have a question. Why would the, the central focus of everything be Calumet? And then someone goes, well, that's uh, one of the key cities in, you know, in the Rockies. It's uh, the one way to get through the Rockies is right there at Calumet. And it's like, but is it? And <laughs> is that the only way to get from the east to the west coast is through Calumet? So you're going to focus everything on that critical city. And you're going to start to slowly expand from there outward. And so, it, yeah, from the very beginning, it was just like, even from the most base strategical way of thinking i had several several issues uh of with how how everything plays out that's not even getting into the acting or the emotions or or, you know anything going on within how the movie was constructed i'm just talking about the idea in general well i'll I'll say this much for the idea of sort of uh bisecting the country and then working your way outward a, it is an unexpected move, and True. so they, they would have had that going for them. Uh, B, when you think about sort of the the communist forces in during the Cold War, Russia, maybe not Russia so much, but Cuba and Nicaragua and sort of the Central American countries, you have a lot of guerrilla fighters that are used to sort of using terrain and, and and objects to their advantage rather than conventional warfare. Yeah. So I can see that. I don't know that it's necessarily a feasible thing uh, in the long term. Like I, I, I honestly think that you'd get to a point pretty quickly where you would, for, for lack of a better term, shoot your load and, and that would be it. Like you're done. Uh, so you would have to do it all real quick and in one quick strike. Otherwise, you're going to get overrun, in my opinion. Yeah. But I'm not a tactician or anything like that, so what the fuck do I know? Well, and to be fair, uh, they – and this is the part that also puzzles me a bit about the movie is they kind of backtrack a little within the movie and turn to the camera and kind of say, you know what? This wasn't that smart, was it? And so I guess maybe – this is supposed to be a commentary I mean, made in 84, 83, 84, you know, when it was filmed and, uh, you know, in the midst, you know, height of the Cold War, not not, you know, Cuban Missile Crisis height, but like it was still everybody that that's what, you know, was on everyone's mind. If, if anything, we, we still had Red Scare yeah, going on. Exactly. And, hardcore. And uh, so uh, the school kids are still like hiding under their desks in, you know, nuke drills like. Yeah. So so but what what you what you see here, I wonder, is almost like a sort of U.S. propaganda film. Um, not just showing how you know we'd persevere if there was an attack, but also showing how, by and large, the enemy is pretty dumb, and that um, I, you know, they even want you to kind of come to like the Cuban leader who misses his wife and who basically flat out says, you know, this. I'm I'm used to being the guy on the outside. I'm 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 the gorilla. I'm I'm the you know the one who's yeah, yeah. insurgent you know and like I'm I'm not the conqueror and you know like this isn't his role and and so it's like the the puppet masters of of the the Soviet Union 
have this plan and it's obviously meant to show that they're very full of themselves and they're not really thinking things out and they underestimate at all, you know, at every possible turn, this rambunctious group of Wolverines. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think that at least that part is interesting that to think within the context of history when this was made at the time, that this could have been kind of serving a, a kind of motivational feel-good you know, way to reflect on what's going on in the country and that even if something like this happened, you know, if we're just resilient enough and, and dig in, like we have, we have a chance we can, we can do this. So, so I think that's interesting. And I mean, I'm willing to segue a bit into the movie now, now that we've established just a few, <laughs> a few high level uh, critiques of what's going on there. And I do think it's best in this case to start Right at the beginning of the film. Yeah. So right at the beginning of the film, we get uh, sort of a normal, everyday, middle America shot. Well, after and, the and, uh, after the, the text bomb of like recent history, you know, the... Which, by the way, like, can we slow the fuck down I with mean, the text? Yeah. I'm a quick reader when it comes to stuff like that, and I was able to just keep up. So I'm like, this is not, <laughs> this is not the average speed... You know, this is not the slow scroll from Star Wars. This is just like PowerPoint presentations where they're just like click, yeah. click, click, you know, page after page, and you're just like, uh, okay. <laughs> and then hey, hold, hold your questions. We gotta get through this. Hold your questions, please. Hold your question. We gotta get through this. We gotta get through this, guys. We gotta get through this. I'm clicking, clicking, clicking. <laughs> like that shit was way too fast. Yeah. But and apparently, you know and that's supposed to stick with us and, and give us the background we need to understand this this beginning. Uh, which, but you know what? Hey, maybe they're setting a pace. Yeah. Maybe they're trying to set a pace yeah, for the movie. Good point. Maybe and it's going to be very quickly paced throughout the whole movie and we won't be bored right out of the tears. gate. Yeah. Maybe the, that'll the happen. The first scene that we get will be super quick and, and, and real action packed. And it wasn't. It was Patrick Swayze dropping off kids at school. Um, Like, come on. Can we yeah. slow the text down? <laughs> and then to the so the first sort of interesting thing that we get is the teacher kind of like distractedly teaching the class while these paratroopers are, are are landing in the schoolyard. Okay, I'll say this much. Once you get past that the opening sequence with the the quick slides about the history of the last several years of, you know, world politics and, you know, Patrick Swayze dropping off the kids at school, but like once you get to the point where they they break off into the sky and show that overhead shot with the with the kind of, you know, music playing that lets you know something bad's gonna happen <laughs> um which i guess was in the opening <laughs> credits as well but like that might have been one of my favorite scenes because at that point we had nothing but potential in front of us at that point in the movie this could turn out to be a good movie this isn't this isn't later yeah. in the movie when we know that's not possible this is still where there's just a hint so that the mystery what's happening and, and the pair the paratroopers i guess they'd be you know coming down like yeah even at that we'll point that. it's like who knows what's gonna happen this is kind of weird but interesting and intriguing and then yeah. and, 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 and then 20 seconds later the movie just starts to fall apart well i mean to to be fair we get kind of a cool car chase scene where you know like grab up the kids and get in the truck and let's get the fuck out of here and the, no, 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 no. Let's back up. Oh, okay. We we're not going to gloss over this. this was I a, drunk? Attack of Calumet. Well, probably, but that's aside from this. 
we have these, I don't know, maybe not Soviets, but Cuban and Nicaraguan paratroopers, whatever. They're, you know, they came in on commercial airlines. We find that out later, you know, as a, okay, that's fine, whatever. They orchestrated things and worked that out. They come down, they hit the ground next to a school, and they break out their rocket launchers yeah. and, and okay. uh, rocket-propelled grenades, and they start not just blindly laying down heavy amounts of automatic fire through the windows of the school, automatically killing all of them. They start shooting the rocket-propelled grenades, which later we find out they have a very limited number of anyway, because they're not going to be able to take out... They're worried they can't take out tanks and things, but they're going to just start using them on the school... Because if they had an element of surprise, they wanted gigantic explosions and unnecessary death right from the exact second they land. There's zero motivation for this attack. If anything, they could have shot a couple of people to scare them or, or you know, make sure they know they're serious. But they all are heavily armed. The school presumably has next to zero armed people in it. They could have just taken them all hostage and led them away to a camp. There's so many things they could have done, but that idea of hitting the ground, laying down all this, you know, machine gun and, and every kind of weapon that you can imagine. I'm surprised they didn't have, like, morning stars and, and maces, <laughs> like, lined with plastic explosive and, and who knows what. But, and daisy so cutters that, yeah. and shit. Like, th- <laughs> that is one thing that sort of threw me a little bit. Because, like, logically, this teacher's coming out and going, hey, guys, what's going on? You're not just going to blast this teacher, right? Like... No, a logical person would, if you're gonna shoot the teacher, kneecap him, and like you know, that sends a message. But instead, you blast this teacher with four in the chest, and then start shooting into the school, killing at least one student. We see one kid sort of hump, like slumped over the window. I'm like, holy shit, that's fucking dark. And so we've we've got this <sighs> this. You're right. This like excess force happening just at Calumet High School, uh, go Wolverines. And then we, we have, you know, uh, C. Thomas Howell and, and Charlie Sheen trying to kind of escape. They're looking for, you know, they get into a car and the, the, the car gets shot up. So they jump into Patrick Swayze's truck because he finally comes back. And then the ensuing car chase scene, which I had aforementioned, uh, yep. which in and of itself was pretty cool. Like, you know, sure, sure. S- skidding through town and, you know, dodging bullets and all that other shit. And the sort of scene through the field with they're firing the tank rounds at the uh, at the truck after they get all the, the gear. That's pretty cool. And then we're just in the forest for an hour. <laughs> Yeah, now, so, like, and again, I feel like <laughs> there are plenty of things not to enjoy about this movie, but why get hung up on that? Um, this movie was broken up into a couple of different parts, and each part was its own different feel and style and, you know, mood and plot and everything. Yeah, and I'd, say that, changed the I'd say that that's true. Everything. And, and I'm not saying that this general idea... It is bad if you take out all of the garbage parts, like the idea of some something like this happening, a smug group of people being forced to 
you know, completely run away and retreat into the mountains and stuff like that. But, but if you take it at its surface where it's at, you know, the, the, the pacing that, you know, they keep showing us each month as it goes by and it makes everything feel even longer. I swear this was a four and a half hour movie. <laughs> and, um, and during those four and a half hours, at least four hours and 21 minutes of it, there was gunfire happening. And that's, and I know there was a bunch of dead time where nothing was really going on, but my brain refused to remember the, the quiet times. I only think it's just nonstop gunfire. That's all that happened in this movie. Um, but I, I think we, again, hit the point where this could have been kind of interesting, this idea of having to just grab what you can take off into the mountains and then go, Oh, how, how are we going to survive? And we find out that, you know, the, the two, the, the brothers have been like taught by their dad, you know, about hunting and how to survive and all these things. So like, there's a sense of, okay, you know, maybe this makes sense that they could figure these things out. They, after all have been drilled into their head from their dad from an early age, super hard on them, all the things about survivalism and, and making it. And yet here they are, in the Rocky Mountains, heading into winter, and one of their priorities is not to like build shelter at all, right? Like, like they're just camping how? for the they're, whole. They're not winter. even camping. Yeah, like they at one point after they rescue the air, not rescue, but when they find the Air Force guy uh, uh, Tanner, like then at some point they have like a little like lean-to roofed right. area where they can plan things inside of. But even that okay sure if you want to shed a little water or something fine but they're not even having walls or anything built up like i mean i again you know we could nitpick this isn't nitpicking me talking about every little detail but i'm saying if you're choosing to make half of your movie about this you know ragtag group of survivors fleeing to the mountains and making it there for months on end like at least show us that they've earned that on some level and this was just I mean, as someone who enjoys the concepts of, you know, bugging out and surviving and like all, all these things that I find very intriguing, like this movie was just just completely null and devoid of meaning on any level and how they set these things up. Not believable, frustrating to a point, and just not that interesting. I feel there was potential completely squandered. Oh, absolutely. And... and it just sort of gets worse from there. Like we, uh, for, let's forget about just the plot points for a second. This movie's hard to watch from an acting perspective. Mm. Like it, there's parts where uh, it's another point, <laughs> another key point. Uh, there's parts where there's, where it's overacted. There's parts where it's underacted and there's parts where you sort of get emotion injected that isn't really appropriate. And you get lines that are injected that aren't really appropriate. Uh, one of the biggest ones for me is when they're at the uh, the camp and they're talking to their dad. And it's like <laughs> that whole... It's supposed to be this real emotional scene. And I'm I'm watching Patrick Swayze and, and uh, Charlie Sheen blubber and and they it seems like they're pouring their hearts into it but i'm just not fucking feeling it and then they're walking away wait 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 hold on how are you not feeling it did you not see the copious amount of water tears streaming down everyone's face in this and the fucking snot (laughs) coming out of their noses and shit sure why not no i was not feeling that shit at all and then we get 
they're walking away and Harry Dean Stanton is screaming, Boys! Avenge me! Avenge me! <laughs> like, come on. Like, this... That, that's not going to happen. Yeah. Especially if you're in... You're, okay, you're in a fucking concentration <laughs> camp and your kids are on the other side of the fence and you're screaming? Like, the, the guards are going to well, come... Well, no, because they had they snuck him. Yeah, they, blast you they right snuck there. him and he's like, boys, no crying, no reaction. Keep it calm and quiet. You know, you're wanted here. You know? And then he starts screaming. <laughs> Sounding the fucking and, alarm know, that his kids are there. But maybe he just... His mind is broken. Maybe that's what we're seeing there. My fucking mind is broken. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Moving right along. Let's talk just a little bit, because I'm, I'm sort of tired of talking about the plot, because it really doesn't go anywhere. Yeah. Uh, it's nothing. It, it really is nothing. And, and you're right. It feels like it's four and a half hours long. Uh, the runtime on this movie is... Uh, let's see, 114 minutes. It might as well be 114,000 minutes. That's, yeah, uh, that's... I, oh, I thought you said 114,000 nope, minutes. Nope, I did say 114, just six minutes shy huh. of two hours. And, like, we get to a point where the kids are, like, in the mountains attacking these sort of columns, and I'm just bored. Like, I'm looking at my phone. And yeah. all of a sudden, you know, Jennifer Grey gets shot. And I'm like, oh, wait, I forgot about that. Uh, and then nothing really came of it. It wasn't all that great, except for the part where the grenade was hiding underneath her. I'll say that that was pretty cool. Well, and I still don't really 100% believe things unfolded the way that it seemed, because we know for a fact that this is a prequel to Dirty Dancing. Sure. And so we know that Jed lives through this and changes his name and takes these you know dancing lessons. And we know that Tony ends up getting adopted by a rich family and they end up going to the Poconos or wherever pretty <laughs> dancing happens. Um, I think that might be I right. I think that is right. Anyway. Well done. But but we, we yeah, unfortunately, or fortunately, I should say, I have much more detailed knowledge of dirty dancing than I do of Red Dawn. I do too, um, believe it or not. Uh, so, so at any rate, you know, we know that this is, there's some sort of like, illusions going on or this is their twins or who knows there's some mysterious stuff that's happening because they live and they they get they get they find their way to you know having the time of their life with each other we know that's gonna happen <laughs> well they never felt this way before yeah uh, the, the, so, so actually, that's obvious what i my, my theory on that because this is a, a direct prequel stated fact to dirty dancing what happened was Dirty Dancing and uh, Red Dawn exist on different timelines. You see, in the timeline of Dirty Dancing, the NATO never dissolved. The Red Scare just stayed a scare, and like nobody ever attacked the United mm. States. And so mm. they went on their natural paths. Jeb becoming uh, a, a dance instructor in the Poconos, and Tony changing her name, getting adopted by a different family, and then vacationing in said Poconos. So... It makes that makes sense. Uh, sort, sort of, that, sort of, that, sort of a dark I mean, tower esque kind of deal. Yeah, I'm surprised I didn't already pick up on that. I normally am pretty good at that, but that makes a little more sense in terms of that that alternate timeline. Like the same the same people, of course, uh, but just you know, sh- shooken up a little bit. We're seeing some alternate realities unfolding, mm-hmm. and, and this just happens to be the dumbest one. 
<laughs> the dumbest, most poorly acted one. Uh, yeah. So what's a- wait, wait? Are you are you gonna say poor? It's poorly acted and poorly written, and so I just there's this fine line between who who who's gonna de- you know give these li- if Powers Booth can't deliver these lines, you know if if Patrick, the king of acting, Swayze can't deliver some of these lines, who who's going to take? The- oh, you know what? There was one part where it sounded like really s- stupid dialogue, but. It had a certain gravitas to it. It was when um, it was, I think it was right around the time of, uh, it, like after the, the Soviets came and, and they fought and found out that What's-His-Face had a, had a homing device in him that he swallowed. Oh, yeah. And like, and uh, they're kind of going back and forth. And one of the, the, the Soviet guy, whoever, he's like, this violates the Geneva Convention. And then the, the, the guy's like, I never heard of it. And then this guy again, I'm guessing, uh, played by Sean Connery with amazing makeup on. And he's like, dogfish, I'll show you how Soviet dies. Um, And I'm surprised I didn't pick up on this just because Sean Connery has played many different nationalities from many different countries. And he always uses his same kind of Scottish English accent um, and that they just say that it's a different accent. Um, so it's, of course, you know, just like in, in uh, Hunt for Red October, well, yeah. he's playing someone who's Soviet. It's like, oh, so that character So that character is credited as Marco Ramius. So that, yep. that totally tracks. This is the alternate timeline. He's not a submarine commander. Nope. He's a foot soldier for the Soviets. Yep. Yeah. And instead of in the future trying to, you know, escape to the U.S. And, uh, man, I'm just putting all the pieces together. I didn't realize that that every movie I've ever seen <laughs> all take place in this Red Dawn timeline, just are different versions of it. So we we've talked about sort of how this movie fall, sort of falls on its face or, or or kind of fails at whatever it's trying to accomplish. What movies or TV shows did it better? Nothing. <laughs> oh wait, I meant everyone no did what better like just be a better movie or this scenario or what i would say because i mean we could say better movies all day they they're not necessarily going to be in the same genre or even this in the same sort of uh ballpark but let's talk about you know better apocalypse movies better sort of dystopia movies movies where you know the united states kind of got shit on for, for lack of a better term, where the world got shit on, and, and we had to kind of recover from that. Well, you know what I think, uh, again, without a very specific example that parallels this movie, but a lot of these movies that follow this path, uh, good, bad, or indifferent, do something that's, I feel like, quite a bit smarter, and they they start the movie in the middle, like the event or events have already happened and you're dealing with the aftermath where here sort of in media res. Yeah. Yeah. And it just doesn't make sense and makes everything else so difficult and the pacing so hard to swallow. And so if this movie started with a bunch of ragtag kids caught up in a mountain pass living on their own, and then they slowly told the story that I'm not saying that would make this movie. Okay. Cause it wouldn't, but well, like, Maybe it would. Well, like maybe that is a better movie. Maybe better, it, but, but not good. It would have to be acted better. 
Like, you would have to sort of have that emotion behind it. But yeah, that could be a better movie. Do you have any any specific movies that you're thinking of uh, in, in this regard? So movies, no, but TV shows. Because I think that this, this kind of scenario is a lot easier to do as a TV show. Like, we could talk about the 2012 version of this movie and sort of compare <laughs> the two. But let's not, because that was also a pile of shit. Um. But if you look at shows like uh, Revolution, uh, which aired, for, I think that did three seasons on like NBC, uh, where if you're not familiar with the show, uh, the there was a, a, a sort of nanotech that was cast out into the world and it shut down all electronics. And so we got sort of thrown back into medieval times. Um, uh, maybe a better example might be Jericho which ran on CBS um, and got canceled twice. Uh, that was probably the closest to Red Dawn uh, of, of sort of the examples that I could give. Uh, maybe the man in the high castle. Uh, and I actually wanted to bring mm-hmm. up the man in the high castle because yeah. uh, whether you're talking about the book or the movie, you sort of get the opposite uh, attack maneuver. Right. So we talked about, you know, the the Soviets came down from Alaska and Canada into the Rockies and um, Cuba and Nicaragua and Mexico came up through Mexico and they sort of met in the middle. And then they they sectioned off the country into two parts in the man on the high castle. You have the Germans, uh, the 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 third right coming in through the east and japan through the west and they so they split the country into three pieces just like in uh red dawn but they controlled two of those pieces they weren't you know trying to defend two fronts you know what i mean yeah uh so that's probably uh, probably jericho and the man in the high castle are the best examples that i could give of this but good yeah, with and with Man in the High Castle uh, again, like uh, a series that I really, really enjoyed a lot. It also, in terms of the everything we we're talking about in the beginning, strategy wise to to take the steps to be able to take on like the population centers and the coasts and and like to leave the center of the U.S. as the no man's land uh, in a wild west kind of thing. Like that makes a lot more sense, and that and and some governments and things there are you know well everywhere there's like various black markets but sometimes it's like done with full and open knowledge of you know the governments to allow for you know certain transactions take place in a way that's expected so like it it just makes sense like i I like that and but the other thing with man in the high castle outside of the uh, more uh, sci-fi fantastical elements is that it's just good acting Mm -hmm. and like it, you're just drawn in great character development, all this stuff. And, and, you know, in this movie, like you said, we're not going to necessarily compare it to the 2012 version of Red Dawn, except I'll just say that maybe that movie's worse. <laughs> that movie is worse um, in certain respects and better in others. Yeah. It, it's, it's almost more forgettable and less iconic, but at least in that one, you well, I think it's funny because with that one, it was supposed to be China uh, invading the U.S. But and they, then they, they they delayed the movie <laughs> for two years so that they could yeah. rework everything and make it North Korea instead of China. 
And they, they figured that they'd make a whole lot of money in China if they change it to North Korea, but then they they didn't, no, which they did not. was suitable. <laughs> but yeah, but but I mean, there's some there's some different changes. There's some different things that maybe make it a little bit easier to handle as as a movie, even though it sucks. But yeah, they're they're both not good. And <laughs> they didn't they didn't they didn't redevelop this and, and learn from mistakes. They just changed it, made it I mean, they did make it a bit less like of watching innocent kids being slaughtered. Sure. <laughs> so hey, so there's a there's a, a positive. Um but I'll I'll say this for Red Dawn, whether it be the nineteen eighty four version or nope, just the nineteen eighty four version. Uh despite its shortcomings, despite how how not good it is, I'll still sort of keep a nostalgia for it. Um, that, that I don't think that that part will ever go away. I think that the the battle cry of Wolverines will always be cool to me. Um, but I can see it's I, I can see it for its faults uh, much more clearly after this <laughs> viewing. I mean, that's, I guess, as fairly generous a statement overall as one can get <laughs> because, I mean, I I don't really know how to describe my feelings, you know, beforehand. I guess I can go back and listen to what I said before we watch this, but it's it just a general, like, oh, yeah, I remember that movie. Like, okay, cool. Like, this could be interesting. And then it turns out it's not interesting <laughs> and it's not good. And it lasts for the rest of your life. Oh, yes. I, it's... Th- um, and it's so, I'm still watching it right that's now. That's so disappointing too because it starts off so interesting. Like it starts off like you're gonna go, okay, this is gonna be a great movie. There's gonna be a lot of great action scenes, and there's gonna be some really cool battles. And it wasn't good. Yeah, and like you can, there there are movies that are not necessarily good, but art can be enjoyable. We've well documented that differentiation and. And saying, you know, like a movie like Tremors that we watch, you know, not the most amazing movie ever made, but there's a bit of enjoyment to it. And even even in the cheesiness and even in the not brilliant script and, you know, even, you know, but there's still it doesn't take itself too seriously. This movie takes itself too seriously. This movie is just a nonstop combination of boredom and gunfire, which maybe maybe that's the most surprising the, thing. The most boring gunfire. <laughs> It's the most boring gunfire I've ever experienced uh, in a movie that I can recall. And it's just, it's all white noise and ridiculousness. And that's, that's as generous as I'm willing to be. Okay. Uh, So I have a feeling I know your answer to this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Did you have a favorite character? Um, The answer to that would be no, I did not have a favorite character because all the characters sucked and i hated them all and okay i'll I'll say probably my favorite character was like that that high school teacher principal guy the one who got shot in the first three minutes of the movie because i just had to endure him less than others so (laughs) so i i'll you brought this character up before and i liked him because he was probably the most realistic of the characters was colonel bella uh, he yeah. he seemed the most redeemable of anybody you know on the communist side, and the most realistic of anybody. Period. Like he he got in there and he knew who he was, and he said, "This is bullshit. And I'm not going to do it anymore." And so I'm quitting. Like that to me, I think was the 
the best feature of a character in this movie. I mean, if if you're asking me to jump on one out of 25 hand grenades, and we all know what the end result is going to be, I guess then Colonel Bella or whatever is a hand grenade that I guess I might jump on. The end result is all the same. It's a big, huge mess, and it all sucks. Um, so, okay, yeah, maybe maybe he's got a, a nice little mustache, and he you know, has a few few bits of wisdom in the midst of all this nonsense. Not enough to redeem himself, the character of the movie, anything, but enough to say, yeah, okay, fine, I'll, I'll give you that. Maybe he's one of the better characters out of just a bunch of nonsense. He did have a nice mustache. I mean, that was really, I think, as we close out uh, the show, like the one conclusion I'd like to make about this movie is that that colonel had a nice mustache. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll, I'll close this out on one last question. You're not going to let us close this out on the mustache okay, statement? Okay, fine. We can close out on the mustache statement. That's we, we, we've, we've done our time. We watched this movie for 14 and a half hours, and now we've talked about it for almost an hour. <laughs> it's just, I, I think we need to be done. I can't take anymore. All right. That's our show, everyone. Thanks so much for <laughs> listening each and every Monday as we distill another favorite from our past. You can catch us on Google Podcast and Apple Podcast and Spotify and Stitcher. I don't know why I'm telling you this. You're already listening to us on whatever your favorite podcatcher is, but you can tell your friends what podcatchers we're on uh or you just go to anchor.fm you can find them all right there uh so yeah come out and hang out with us uh tell your friends tell your family tell a coworker, and uh share the love my friends and the music in our podcast comes from the soundtrack to the movie dirty dancing but it doesn't. It That's doesn't. I was reality. Gonna, I was trying to to figure out how that worked. Yeah, unfortunately, we got the soundtrack for the prequel to Dirty Dancing, and that was just no good. So we substituted the song "Destroying the Evidence" by Semaphore. Far better song. Our podcast. Far better than anything delivered to us in this garbage movie. Um, also, <laughs> we do want you guys to email us with any questions or comments or notes or requests or whatever you like. Just say hi at the memory distillery at gmail.com. Um, just let us know what you're thinking and what other movie uh, from the 80s that has to do with the fear of communism you'd like to see us take Or on. tell us what, um, what what's the next Swayze movie we should do. Also a good point because they're all better. Are they? And, I'm uh, actually that's a pretty that's that I well that, that's a bold feel, statement feel to pretty, make. I feel pretty safe, but you never know. Um, but yeah, uh, again, tweet us at uh, TMDPod, and that's our Instagram handle. And uh, again, just thank you guys for listening and enduring us speaking about Red Dawn. Uh, I can't believe I made it through. I'm happy I did, and we'll uh, see you guys again soon. I'm John Deck, and I'm Anthony Verneri, and this has been the Memory Distillery. Stay classy, kids.